0: Steamed Nata, churros, brigadeiro, calzone, apple
1: pie. Mm. And mash, toad in the hole, paella. Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. My name is David G. Martins, and I'm the executive chef for the European Union Embassy in Washington D.C. And my guest today is one of Sweden's best-known chefs. He has worked with great chefs from Hessen Blumenthal to Ferran Adria. He opened his first restaurant at the age of 21, and since then, he has impressed the Swedish food scene. He supervised three restaurants, including his restaurant, Extet, where the concept is to first and foremost cook all raw ingredients over an open fire. In 2020, he appeared as a judge on Channel 4 series, Crazy Delicious. He's a proud dad of two boys, he likes to skateboard, and although he likes outdoor adventures, a snowmobile just played a trick on him. Niklas Ekstedt, welcome to the podcast.
0: <laughs> hey guys, how are
1: you? Good thing. Did I say your last name correct? All yes, this?
0: I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, pronouncing it like Swedish it would be strange. I think you always like if someone pronounces it perfect, you're like you're Swedish. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was so doing,
1: I was talking with my friends from Finland this morning to make sure I would try yeah. my best, but uh, as close. As yeah, I it's can. not. Yeah, I mentioned the snowmobile trick because you did have an accident. Are you feeling better?
0: Yes, I'm. I'm feeling a little bit better. Um, it was just two weeks ago. Actually, I was on my. W- we were on a f- photo shoot in northern Sweden, and I was on my snowmobile, and I was going to go up for this little hill, and the snowmobile flipped, and I got it on top of me, and my left shoulder went down to the ground and cracked my skull, and my left shoulder uh, broke. So I've been lying down for like ten days, eleven days. Uh, yeah but then slowly coming back, actually. So it's a little better this week.
1: I always start the podcast asking two important questions. Have you ever been to Portugal?
0: Mm, Well, I have as a child. I was there for vacation with my parents when we did a caravan tour of Europe when I was 10, maybe. Like 10 years uh, years ago. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, (laughs) well, 30 years ago. I don't remember much of it. In my as as a chef I haven't been to to Portugal. Do you know any Portuguese words? my uh, ve- my Portuguese is very limited. My I, Swedish yeah. is
1: even worse. So you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so you're fine if you don't know anything. That's okay. We'll start right away with your uh, restaurant, ex that has your last name. So the concept is to have, it's an open fire, right? Do you have any ovens at all? And why did you make the decision to cooking that way in the restaurant?
0: Uh, Well, I did have like uh, like a normal fine dining restaurant before this one. And uh, I was a little tired of working with uh, high-end cuisine without being close to my own heritage and my own cuisine. And then I closed that down. It was in southern Sweden and moved to Stockholm. And then when I moved to Stockholm, it was, uh, it was in the middle and the peak of kind of like the new Nordic movement and the high-end cooking uh, in Sweden and in the whole of Scandinavia was really booming, with, especially with Noma and Relais and Savikin and all that. And so it made me a little nervous opening up my own place because I was thinking like, how can I top that? and uh, all the other restaurants were very much focused on the nordic kind of like cooking ingredients and the products so i thought and a lot about it before opening up the restaurant and that it would be nice and fun maybe to go back in history and look at what technical aspects uh how did you know how technically did we cook what, what techniques would, did we use in the scandinavian kitchen uh before electricity was introduced and before other foods were introduced.
1: Do you, do Swedish and, people do uh, a lot of grilling? No, in general, like open fire grilling, or no?
0: Uh, I mean, generally no. I mean, the, the, I would say that cooking kind of like uh, on an open fire and, and on a grill is very much like Americanized. It's Weber. So in the summer, people love to have a barbecue outdoors in in the in the garden or in the or in your patio. But not like it's not it, it's not deeply rooted into our cooking traditions, like the wood oven in in Italy or the barbecue in Texas. But uh, we enjoy like a campfire, of course, very much because we're very much a people of deep outdoor traditions.
1: What can you get out of ingredients cooking over an open fire instead of a traditional oven?
0: Well, I mean, first of all, it's just choosing the ingredients were very difficult because, you know, the problem we had in the beginning was that we as, you know, high end chefs and cooks, we tend to buy a, and our products or produce from like organic farmers and, and you know, small scale farmers. And there they have adapted their uh, ingredients and vegetables for these high end restaurants. with So they're usually a little bit more petite or like smaller in sizes. Which is not great for an open fire or an open grill, uh, because they kind of like we use a lot of heat, you know, in in our cooking. Eventually, we 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 you know when we ordered vegetables and, and products, we called up our supplier and said, "What are the biggest celeries you have? <laughs> what, what are the what, do you have any massive carrots?" So it's kind of <laughs> like it was more kind of that type of things that we really wanted. And then of course, yeah, your mindset need to be different. I mean, it's easy if you want to do like a steakhouse. It's just want to have, you know, grilled beef or grilled or whole fish or something. But if you want to expand from that and take your uh, your open fire and cooking to the next level, you really need to be more creative and more uh, think more.
1: Do you have any ovens at all in the kitchen?
0: Uh, we have no electricity. Perfect. See,
1: it's a high end concept going back in times, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and uh, we work a lot with cast iron. So we have like a cast iron stove and we work with different pans, cast iron pans, and we work with bricks and with uh, uh, the wood oven, of course, and clay, And but uh, we have no no conventional ovens, no electric ovens or induction or anything like that.
1: I mean, this might, might sound a, a weird question, but especially because you already own restaurants before and you still have other businesses like for instance when it's an electrical bill at the end of the month can you really tell the difference
0: (laughs) well of course the heating and the the lights and and the refrigerators are on electricity so i guess it doesn't like help me out that much and also we have to buy wood every day so yeah yeah.
1: so since fire is so unpredictable or it can be unpredictable i'm sorry do you have any crazy story that has happened at your restaurant not yet
0: God, I mean, so many, I don't know where to start, but the one, the, I mean, the one, like the, the worst night we had, or the, the the most horrible night in service for me was actually, oh, it's it's this time of year. It was Valentine's Day. And, you know, as a chef, you don't like Valentine's Day and it's just a horrible day cooking because it's just twos and there're no big big parties and it's just complicated cooking for all these twos and also the the clientele have high expectations because they booked long in advance and they all want special you know something special on the table like flowers or chocolates or cakes and stuff so it's just like it's just like not fun day but we had the landlord in looking at all the fire or we we just fit it in this new wood oven so we did a little of We did little changes on on the extraction and and the hood on top of the live fire so actually the hood of the the above just under the extraction we came down a little bit with only like 10 centimeters or something like in a two inch maybe and then but on that little hood there was this little plastic trap is it's like for the sprinkler so and actually how that sprinkler system works is that it has a plastic button on it. And then when that melts, it launches the whole sprinkler system. So we were sending, you know, all these lovely couples on Valentine's Day. They were all sitting there enjoying their main course. And then poof, the sprinkler system just went mental on the whole <laughs> dining room. And it has this detergent as well in it. So it's oh, perfect like... Okay. Yeah. So it's not only water. It's actually this blue gluey kind it's of perfect horrible, to wash your car. sticky thing okay yeah. yeah and can you imagine yeah it would be great to putting watch. on your you wash your car so suddenly all these you know all these lovely people who who were there enjoying their valentine's they all were dressed up and new clothes and everything were just you know covered in this blue glue it was really and then we, of course we had to and then after that when the sprinkler system started, the electricity in the in the extraction cl- turned off in, in like an automatic switch. So suddenly all the smoke came into the dining room as well. So it's just, it filled with... It's a lot of experience, deter- right? It yeah. <laughs> the smoke, yeah. Open fire, oh, water, yeah. God, yeah. And then everyone had to walk out on the street and the whole building was, oh, it's just horrible, horrible, horrible. So yeah, <laughs> so that was... So yes. then so then we yeah, so then I had to do research on how to find a plastic plug for a sprinkler system that did not melt at one hundred and fifty or hundred and sixty Celsius. since, since then all good yeah, perfect. So uh, if anyone needs a sprinkler consultant, they can call <laughs> me up and I can help.
1: <laughs> what is the definition of Swedish food for you, and how do you uh, distinguish yourself from other Scandinavian countries?
0: Well, Swedish food is very much. It has. It's very seasonal, and it's it's more mixed than the other countries. For example, Denmark is in the su- southern Scandinavia, so it's very rural and has a lot of farming, and it's very much like almost like German kind of like uh, climate. While Sweden, if you look at a map, you can see it's very long, right? And uh, you can learn the the three Scandinavian countries next to each other easy. You say like Norway, Sweden, Finland. Never say. F- That's how I teach people that it's Norway. (laughs) So it's Norway, Sweden, Finland. And then so Sweden, uh, if you look at the map, so in between Finland and Norway, there's Sweden. And it's very long. It's a long country. So from Ystad in the south to Kiruna in the north, it's actually the same distance as from Ystad to Rome. So it's a long, long country. And of course it has different climate zones. So the answer to that is like, it depends on where in Sweden you are. So because we have such a diverse cuisine is because we're a long country and have different climate zones so in the northern Sweden where you have the Sami the indigenous people of Scandinavia where which is very focused on the reindeer and the culture and, and game and mushrooms and wild berries and then in the south you have farmers where you where is mostly potatoes and wheats and well, of course we're absolute vodka is so it's a lot of very vodka dominated uh, cuisine so, so it's, it's 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 very different but for me I think that the thing that stands out is the, it's clean food very kind of like not messed around with a lot it's very like straightforward and um, kind of fat but in the same time rustique cuisine
1: in the 90s and correct me if i'm wrong french food was at their best you know a lot of michelin star restaurants at the 90s and then in the beginning the 2000s a lot because of el Bulli, spanish food was the thing and <laughs> The last 10 years or so, because of Noma and other restaurants, Scandinavian cuisine in general has been on the rise. Within the back of like probably like Mexico and Peru, they also, but you know, people think about Scandinavian food the last eight years or so. uh, It has a big following. Why do you believe this surge has happened?
0: Well, I think that one reason is because the economy in Europe gets more and more kind of like, similar so when i was a child for example you know going to spain that just covered was recovering from franco and and portugal it was was poor you know it was it was these it it still is it still is
1: nicholas it's fine we don't have to talk about it
0: it still but it it was a massive like different coming if you went to madrid or you went to stockholm or you went to london there were like it was very expensive in scandinavia we, we stuck out. We were one of the most expensive countries or the most expensive area in Europe. And for example, when I was, you know, when I was in my te- teens, you know, when my father went to London, he went to shop, you know, he came back with jeans, you know, with new clothes and caps and stuff like that for us because it was, you know, half price in London. And then, but then they kind of like leveled out in the early, in the be- uh, beginning of this century, kind of like it leveled out and, pretty much the same price in big cities around Europe. If you were in London or Madrid or Stockholm was pretty much the same price. So I think that was one of the main reasons why why kind of suddenly people were traveling to Stockholm and, and you know enjoying it and actually going out eating and, and it's in the same thing in Copenhagen. And then at the same time, I think there were like a lot of people looking at, uh, it was a lot of chefs that were moving home because they all worked in France, or in spain and to be frank they were treated like you know they uh, if you worked in the three-star michelin restaurant in paris or in uh, in spain you know if you survived six months you were you know you were made of steel if you were there for a year you were rather an idiot or you had like you wanted to die because you know before the 45 hour, the 35-hour work week in France was introduced and all that. You know, you work, you know, till you died, pretty much. And then so a lot of like, I think a lot of like Scandinavian chefs who like moved to Southern Europe and worked, they were like, no, I'm not, I'm not taking this yet. I want to move home. And they moved home with all these kind of like skills and talent that they, uh, and they opened up their own restaurants and they didn't want to open a French restaurant, Italian restaurant. They wanted to open a Scandinavian restaurant. So, so it was kind of like you know all the stars were set in the right direction, and and then a massive Scandinavian movement came along, yeah. and of course it helped with with super talented people like Rene Redzepi and Magnus Nilsson.
1: And you as well. You can put your name there. <laughs>
0: yeah. So may million... worked at my restaurant before Noma. So that's... Just little...
1: put that note there. Yeah. yeah. One million people will probably already ask you this. So I'm sorry, Nicholas. I'm going to be the one million and one. Very briefly, how do you make the perfect Swedish meatball? Which I don't know how to say it. It's shootball or something like that. So you...
0: yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the key is not using one meat. It's actually using three types of meat. So in a perfect, meatball batter you're supposed to use veal beef and pork and then blend that and put a little bit, bit of cream uh, and breadcrumbs in there and then you let it set and rest so you let the the breadcrumbs and the cream and the meat soak in and then nutmeg a little bit of nutmeg salt and then roll them on and this the batter is supposed to be quite loose so it's, it's not not too hard so that's the main mistake people do when they do meatballs. They do it more like a, uh, like a fricadele or something.
1: Yeah. But and you got to beat the mixture is... right a lot, right? Yeah. Before, yeah. yeah.
0: You beat the mixture. I've seen you, beat you beating the... those mixtures. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're mm-hmm. beating the batter with a wooden spoon, like yeah. hard. And then you roll them and then you got to be wet in your hands and then let them fry. And then use oil, but a little bit of butter in the frying pan. Not too much butter because it'll, it'll burn.
1: The, for the sauce, what's the key ingredient?
0: The sauce is a veal stock cream, and then you reduce that to a little bit, and then you can have sherry or port wine, a little bit of white wine in there as
1: well. I'll recommend port just to help my economy. Yeah. So, if I so yeah, <laughs> Nick, let's, let's. I love play. those
0: cake. What are those Portuguese cakes C- called? The-, the
1: tarts with yeah. puff- uh, nata, custard tarts. Yes.
0: Yeah. What are they called?
1: In Portuguese, it's pastéis nata. Or pastage de boulain, which is, you know, but it's the custard tarts.
0: I had a stopover in uh, Lisbon on my way somewhere, South America, I think. I think I had three. (laughs) They're delicious. When I go
1: to to Sweden, I'll make some for you. They're delicious. They're absolutely delicious. Let's play a quick game. So let's imagine you go to an island, okay? Just you. You can take your kids, your wife, but and you can take one protein, one veggie, one fruit, and one dessert with you. What's the protein that you take?
0: Lamb.
1: Okay. Do you have an island by the way in mind or no?
0: I mean, how big is it supposed to be? Like no. deserted island or can it be like Except any island?
1: It's it, any island. It's all for you. Let's imagine the people there don't exist anymore. It's just you. So I mean, you Bornholm.
0: Choose... I love Bornholm. It's Perfect. a Danish We're... island. Okay. Uh, it's in the Baltic, uh, okay. in between Germany and Denmark. It's the most beautiful island. It's not very known about and it's kind of like it's been off and on Swedish and Danish and it's uh, absolutely stunning.
1: Okay. So you take lamb and a veggie
0: i mean the most diverse and if i if i can't have any any other ones i would choose potatoes because you can do so much it's true one fruit one fruit apples
1: and one dessert
0: holy shit that, it was that boring apples potatoes no. and lamb
1: i mean no uh, no boring here yeah. And one dessert now if you tell me slice uh, yeah, fruit yeah. for dessert then it'll be boring <laughs> sliced pineapple no
0: well i would choose a cheese probably okay like a, like a blue cheese or something as a dessert because then i can use that with the potatoes and See? with the apples and thinking yeah.
1: about the menu right Yeah. okay yeah so uh shifting the conversation this is the questions i ask every everyone uh what was your first memory of taste
0: I think of this a lot. I mean, I had, I've had this question before and also sometimes when you go to restaurants, you know, the chefs co- cook, like nostalgic food for them. And then, so I was just like, I thought of it a lot, but I think the one thing I can really remember, I think was when I was a kid, I lived in Northern Sweden and before global warming, of course we had, you know, heavy cold winters. And, um, I think my first kind of like first, Strong memories, hot chocolate. Okay. Like sitting outdoors in the winter when it was cold, and my mom poured me hot chocolate in my, in my little mug.
1: The most underrated ingredient for you? You're going to say potato now? <laughs> you can. Some people say potato.
0: <laughs> Potatoes? Uh, that's uh, kind of used, though. I mean, I would say salariac.
1: That's my answer as well. Yeah, I love salariac. Yeah. Overrated ingredient. Beef that's also common as nights it's true yeah the the best breakfast you can have
0: i think like the the one the best breakfast like the the one that i really like i I, i've been twice to singapore and they have these soft boiled eggs with soya sauce and toasted bread have you had that have you been Singapore? Uh, no i
1: haven't been no
0: no and they have these like outdoor like street food restaurants where they have soft boiled eggs and the special soya sauce and and bread and and tea and like you know long tea and you sit there and and the, the whole kind of asian city is waking up and yeah i, I think it's like a Singaporean breakfast
1: problem going to asia is asia or other countries that are a little far away i do not like to travel uh flying i don't like flying
0: ah okay. so when i
1: think about mm, 20 hours on a plane i because I, I, I don't like because i have a true fear but that's my own problem don't worry about it but how did uh, you get to washington well I came here and yeah. now you know I every time I try now you're not going anywhere now I'm not going anywhere I go to Portugal mostly to be honest or I go to Europe at 6-7 hour I can do it it's, yeah. it's stressful but I can do it when I start thinking about 10-12-15-20 that's, that's really yeah. stressful for me but hey what is the strangest combination food wise some people might put together 2-3 ingredients that you just cannot accept
0: well in Sweden they put bananas on pizza uh, oh, and curry bananas uh, in pizza yeah and curry the whole thing uh yeah how's that so it's it's horrible um because <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know bananas like generally i like like platinum, like what do they call those plantains Pla- yeah plantain yeah. Yeah. those are nice i like those but you know those sweet kind of like chiquita bananas mm-hmm. they're like they're nice snack or maybe in a dessert but on a savory dish it's just like not great
1: the name of the podcast is turning chickens and breaking dishes those are two portuguese phrases turning chickens Uh. means someone that has a lot of experience and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded all expectations Uh. do you think Uh. you've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes
0: (laughs) well life is both right it is that's what makes it magical yeah that's
1: true at the end of the podcast i always tell my guests to sell their fish this is other portuguese phrase in portugal if someone tells you to sell your fish that means to talk about yourself what's in the future for you or something like that Ah. so can you tell people you know what's in the future if they ever go to sweden where can they visit your restaurant where's that plans for you in the future just just sell your fish uh, nicholas just a little bit
0: Hopefully it'll still be there after the pandemic. So I, oh, yeah. so my yeah. my restaurant Xted is in the central, very heart of Stockholm, and um, it's we won't. I mean, we were planning a little bit of changes, but because of the situation right now, we're kind of fine tuning the product and the restaurant that we already have. And I find it kind of like very exciting and very interesting to be working at home and in the city so much that I've done lately. And so it's kind of like, it's kind of comfortable just staying at home and in the restaurant and not being on the road so much has made it life less stressful. But with that said, I'd, I'd love to have a, a second restaurant in another city in Europe eventually. So we'll
1: see. There's a great city called Lisbon, Nicholas. If you want, <laughs> I will I'll hook you
0: up there. There was this, there was this uh, time in Sweden where a lot of Swedes moved to Portugal because of tax reasons. I think it was like ten years ago. A lot mm-hmm. of people moved there, uh, and people really enjoyed it. They loved the Lisbon. Uh, it's not it.
1: because I'm from Portugal, and I had a lot of guests here saying I do believe Portugal is the new hub. In in you know, Berlin was 15 years ago, and Barcelona was 10 years ago, and I think Lisbon is. You can tell the difference, even in a space of 10 years. I've been in the US every year. I go back; it's a different city and food wise, and all other things. But but okay, that's that's good projects. Um, Nicholas, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I hope you you heal very very soon.
0: I I am already healing, so it's oh, perfect. Fine. I'll be perfect. I'll be back in the kitchen in two weeks.
1: You can go ahead now and go make some banana pizza with curry on top. <laughs> and uh, it was a pleasure, and I hope to catch up with you soon. So thank you.
0: Thank you very much for thank having very me. Much.
1: Thank you very much, Nicholas, for coming on the podcast. For those of you that heard perhaps an oven in the back beeping, that was my oven, because this was a morning conversation, so I had to make some bacon, so, you know, leave me alone. Anyway, please follow the Facebook page of the podcast, Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. You can also find us on Instagram, Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes. If you have any questions or suggestions for a guest, you can do so sending an email to info at turningchickensandbreakingdishes.com. I'll be back next Wednesday. Make sure you're safe, make sure you're happy. Adios.